All right, well, that was exciting. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Wonderful getting us into the spirit uh, as we start the new year. Everybody, I just wish you all a happy new year, and it's, it's great to see you all uh, this, this Sunday morning, uh, January 7th, the first Sunday of the uh, new year. And, and so we're going to embark on a new study uh, in the book of Acts. And so before we do that, I'd just like to uh, bow in prayer for a second and uh, ask the Lord to bless what we're trying to do. Lord, we do thank you. Uh, for the book of Acts. And Lord, we thank you for a new year. And we pray, Lord, as we embark on this new study, uh, Lord, that we would see parallels between the book of Acts and Grace Redeemer Community Church uh, and what those band of disciples back in the first century were trying to do in the world and what Grace Redeemer Church is trying to do in the world, Lord. So help us in our study. Uh, help us to uh, be a light to the world as uh, the first century apostles were a light to the world. And Open our hearts now. Uh, Spirit, help us to, to hear, uh, understand, and, and uh, apply what we are learning in Acts uh, to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, before we get into the book, I just want to uh, wish Pat uh, publicly, I just want to wish you well. And uh, Lord, we, th we just thank you, Pat, for the blessing that you've been to so many in our church and pray that you will continue In your ministry as you go, you've been a blessing to many, and uh, we, we just wish you and send you with our prayers. All right, so uh, we're starting in on the book of Acts, and so uh, the book of Acts uh, is, is a great book. It's, it's a really foundational book uh, in the Bible, and, you know, I was uh, on the Internet uh, doing some research about uh, World War II for, for whatever reason, and I typed World War II into the Google bar, and in 0.81 seconds, I got 193 million results about World War II. And if any one of those pages that I wanted to click on didn't come up for some reason, maybe the web page was moving too slowly or the page had been moved, well, I would just move down to the next page and I'd get all the information I need, right? Uh, in our information age, uh, in the age where I can just say, uh, Alexa, tell me about World War II. All right, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get information from because information is so readily uh, available. Uh, so for us, it's nearly impossible to imagine a document of such importance that if we did not have the information contained in it, that it wouldn't be available to us from another source. But, but that's what the book of Acts is. Uh, it's the first church history uh, ever written, and it has information in it that can be obtained uh, from no other source. Uh, so from a historical basis, uh, without the book of Acts, we would only have a very vague idea uh, of how the, uh, how the gospel spread around the first century world. Uh, basically, we would have to glean what we could from uh, the epistles that Paul wrote and what we could get from first century historians, secular historians like Josephus, uh, who tells us some things about the first century church, uh, but not very much. We would know nothing about how uh, the gospel spread to the Gentiles. We would know nothing about how the Holy Spirit came. We'd know nothing about the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, we'd know nothing about the life of the early Jerusalem church. Uh, we wouldn't know how the gospel came to the Samaritans uh, or uh, spread as far as Rome. So uh, Acts really marks the transition of how God was focusing uh, his efforts on the people of Israel in Jerusalem and then how the gospel then went to the Gentiles outside of Jerusalem uh, as far as Rome. Uh, and so the, the book of Acts is really indispensable in terms of talking to us about 
uh, how the gospel spread from that launching point in Jerusalem uh, to the second generation Christians and, and even as far as we are uh, here today. Uh, all of the gospels funnel into uh, chapter one of the book of Acts. So all of the gospels end and, and Acts picks up right where the gospels left off. You have the resurrection, you have the ascension, uh, and then Acts tells the story from there. And the epistles are all built on the work done uh, in the first century church. Uh, Paul was actually in these places that are talked about in the book of Acts, and he's writing these epistles that he wrote to the churches that he established in the book of Acts. So uh, in one way, the, the gospels all funnel into Acts, and all the epistles are built on Acts. And so it's very important for that reason as well. And there are so many practical things that we learn about the first century church because we have the book of Acts. Uh, for example, uh, we learn in Acts chapter 20 that the church started to meet on Sundays uh, rather than the traditional Sabbath day, Saturday, where the, where, uh, when Jews used to meet. Uh, and Acts tells us how the first century church practiced baptism. And we learn how the first century church governed themselves through the establishment of elders uh, and deacons. And most biblical churches try to model their church uh, in the same imitation of how uh, the first century church modeled itself. So we are very grateful for the book of Acts because we learn uh, so much about how we ought to be governing ourselves uh, by what we learn uh, in the first century uh, church. So uh, anytime I get to start the study of a new book, uh, I love background information, uh, so you're going to have to suffer with me through about 10 minutes of background information before we dig into some verses, uh, because I love history. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a historian at heart, I guess, and, and so uh, we're, we're going to learn a little bit about what the book of Acts uh, was about as we, uh, as we start to dig in here a little bit. So, author and date. Uh, it's widely accepted that Luke wrote the book of Acts as part of a two-part series called Luke and Acts, uh, and, and uh, this has been attested to from, from the very beginning, uh, since, since the book was written, uh, most of the church fathers mention uh, that Luke was the author. You'll have guys like uh, Irenaeus and Eusebius and Tertullian and Clement of Alexandria and all these guys from the first and second centuries attributing this book uh, to Luke. Uh, and the book, of, uh, 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 the book of Acts itself mentions a lot of other people uh, that obviously disqualifies them from being the authors because they've been mentioned in the book as third person. So uh, there's really been no uh, serious challenge uh, to Luke's authorship in the book of Acts. Uh, it was probably written about 60 to 62 uh, AD, and, and the reason I say that is because the best chronologies that we have uh, land Paul in Rome about that time, so it couldn't have been written before then. And it probably wasn't written much after then because the book doesn't mention important events like uh, Paul's trial in Rome, for example, uh, the, Nero, the Nero persecution, which happened in about 64 uh, AD, uh, Paul's death, which is traditionally 64, 65 AD, and the fall of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD. None of those events are mentioned in the book of Acts, so probably it was written around 60 uh, to 62 AD. What were the purposes that Luke wrote for? Uh, he mentions a couple of them. Uh, the first one is to instruct Theophilus. And this goes all the way back to Luke chapter 1. Uh, remember, this is a two-part volume, so the introduction that, that Luke wrote to verses one through, in 1 through 4 of Acts cha or Luke chapter 1 applies to Acts as well. And so uh, he wrote to this man named Theophilus. And we have no knowledge of Theophilus outside of the Bible. We have no idea who he was. Um, 
Uh, but apparently he, he was probably some kind of Roman official and he may have even been the one who financed uh, Luke's work. And so he gives us, Luke himself gives this purpose statement for why he wrote uh, these books in Luke chapter one. So let's see what he says. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. So there's the first purpose, to instruct Theophilus. He wants Theophilus to know that whatever he's been taught from, a from, from his youth, all of it is true. But there were also other purposes. Luke wrote to evangelize. Uh, there are many speeches and sermons recorded in this book, and they contain the gospel message. And so uh, Luke wants his readers to know the gospel, to understand the gospel, to accept and believe the gospel, uh, and be saved themselves. So another purpose was to evangelize. Another purpose that Luke wrote was to convince uh, his readers that they had nothing to fear from Rome by becoming Christians. And it's interesting how Luke does this because time and again in the book of Acts, we will see Christianity come into contact with a Roman official. And every time this happens, the Roman official says, oh, I don't really see any problem with this. And he doesn't shut it down. He doesn't kill the Christians who are spouting these things. He says, I don't see any problem with this. And, and, and Christianity is allowed to uh, continue on. So Luke is trying to tell his readers, look, the Roman officials don't have a problem with this. It's not subversive. It's not something that's going to get you killed. Uh, so you can believe this because it's true. And you can believe it and not have to worry about your life. Uh, so it's not a threat. And finally, Luke writes to record history. And he says that very plainly. Uh, in his introduction, he says that his purpose was to write an orderly account of everything that happened after a careful investigation of all sources. And so uh, let's ask, what were those sources that Luke used to compile these two books? He had many sources. He mentioned written records, and most scholars think that he certainly had the book of Mark at his disposal when he was writing both Luke and Acts. He also had access to lots of other documents. He just didn't mention which ones they were, and that would have been really nice to, for us to have, but he just doesn't say. Uh, he also talks about oral history. He talks about the history that was handed down. So uh, realize that if this book was written in 60 to 62 AD, uh, about 30 years have passed since the death of Jesus, and people have been handing down this oral history ever since that time, uh, people who were actual eyewitnesses, which, of course, Luke was not. Uh, but Luke spoke to eyewitnesses. He did his personal research. It says that he undertook carefully his own investigation. So he did his own research and he interviewed eyewitnesses. And, and I think it's safe to assume that he had access to Philip. He had access to Peter. He probably even had access to Mary. Uh, we know that he was a traveling companion of Paul. So obviously he had access to Paul. And he was an eyewitness to many of the things that he saw uh, himself. But beginning in Acts chapter 16, he starts to use phrases like, we traveled here and we traveled there. So, so Luke and Paul are traveling together. So, so Luke's actually an eyewitness to the things uh, that are going on here. Uh, and so let's talk about the structure of the book. Uh, the structure of the book comes right out of verse 1-8. Uh, I think it's the key verse in Acts. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So in chapters 1 through 7, we're going to see the church receive the Holy Spirit and then the gospel spread around in Jerusalem. Uh, and then as, as, the, as the book goes on in chapters 8 to 12, we see the gospel spread into Judea and Samaria through the ministries of Philip and Peter. And then the rest of the book, chapters 13 to 28, we see Paul now taking the gospel and taking it all throughout the Gentile world to the remotest parts of the earth, which as far as they were concerned was Rome. And that's where uh, the book of Acts ends. And so uh, the book follows this very uh, neat structure that is found in verses one through eight. Well, there are many important themes of the book, and we'll certainly hit on all of these as we go. But the, the, the theme I want to talk about most is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because you will see uh, as we go through the book, the Holy Spirit is, is so active throughout the book of Acts, uh, you really can't miss it. And so uh, the book is traditionally known as Acts or Acts of the Apostles, uh, but really this book would more appropriately be titled something like uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ through the Apostles, something like that, because uh, we see at least 50 times in the, in the book of Acts, we, we see uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit mentioned. And this is exactly why I want to study the book of Acts. I, I, think it's, I think it's the right book for our church at this time because I see Grace Redeemer Community Church very much like I look at the 12 apostles. I, I look out and I see a band of few uh, committed believers uh, who want to take the gospel out into a new area when we move into our new building, uh, into our uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And I think that the book of Acts is going to be an encouragement to us uh, to teach us how to do it uh, and to help us when we get discouraged in doing it. So I think Acts is the right book at the right time for our church. We want to do what the first century apostles did in their world. We want to take what they did and we want to do it in our world. So uh, I'm excited about it for that reason. And finally, personally, uh, the book of Acts is very important to me because uh, when, when, when God was drawing me to himself in 2002 and 2003 or so, uh, for some reason, I pulled a Bible off the shelf for the first time in many, many years and opened to the book of Acts. And I have no idea why. Uh, the book of Acts meant nothing to me personally. I just opened and that's where God directed me. And so I opened this book and I read the entire book in one setting. And there were just several things about the book that really impressed me. And the first thing was uh, Luke's uh, historical method. Uh, when you write a book and you're trying to convince somebody of something, remember I come out of a legal background, so this is, these are the things that are important to me. I wanna know that you did your research and I wanna know that you've checked your facts. And so Luke checked his facts and he did his research and he talked to people. Uh, and, and I found that his uh, historical uh, work was, was, was spot on. And, and even historians to this day say for the first century, Luke was about as great a historian as you could possibly be. I also love the historical detail uh, that's contained in the book. As we go through, we're going to see that Luke uh, is constantly tying events to uh, other historical events that we know are true and we can date from secular history. And we know about rulers and leaders uh, that existed in the first century from inscriptions that we found. And so uh, the, the, the proof of, of the things that Luke talks about uh, have been proven by things that have been found in secular history as well. 
And so these things give the book authenticity, credibility, believability, all things that I was looking for when I first started to read the Bible. And another thing I remember thinking was, was reading about Paul uh, and thinking that this guy had absolutely nothing to gain by making up any of this stuff, right? Paul is a man on the rise. He's rising in Jewish society, uh, rising higher than his peers, uh, faster than his peers, and, and he's headed to good things uh, as he rises in Judaism, and yet he throws it all away uh, to follow Jesus and to face persecutions and beatings all along the way. And, and who does that uh, for something that is not true? Uh, so. Acts became foundational for me because uh, it just resonated with the way I think. It resonated uh, kind of with my, my soul, and, and uh, I really had to, had to think through when I started studying the book of Acts what this meant for me, uh, and, and it really started me on my journey uh, toward belief. So personally, the book of Acts is important to me for all of those reasons. All right, have you all had enough background? All right, let's get into some verses. Uh, we're going to study of today verses 1 through 11. Uh, and what we're going to see is that Jesus relocates his ministry. Uh, so uh, what happens here is that uh, Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. And yet his disciples are totally in the dark as to what's going on. I think they think they know what's going on, but it turns out they have no idea what's going on. They're completely uh, lost. And so uh, these 11 verses kind of serve as a transition uh, from Jesus's ministry on earth to Jesus's ministry in heaven. And so what happened on earth is that Jesus was uh, directing events and doing a ministry on earth. And then he goes into heaven and he's going to do ministry from heaven through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles. Uh, but they just don't understand that yet. Uh, and so what we're going to see in these 11 verses is that uh, Luke is going to summarize Jesus's earthly ministry in verses 1 through 3. And Jesus will prepare the apostles to receive the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. And then he's going to correct their misunderstandings and he's going to commission them for the work that he has for them in verses 6 through 8. And then he's going to ascend to heaven and he's going to leave them uh, to do the work that he's got for them to do in verses 9 through 11. So uh, let's get into it. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Uh, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Well, from the opening verses, we can see that Acts and Luke are connected, right? He, he, he's saying he references his earlier account, which we know is the Gospel of Luke, he references the same recipient, which is Theophilus, so it's written to the same person. Uh, and, and Luke 24 and Acts 1 contain a lot of the same information. And so you can see, uh, if you read them together, that, that the, the, those two chapters are kind of the binding that tie the two books together. Uh, Luke says that the first account was about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So while on earth, he was only beginning to do and teach. His ministry was going to continue in heaven. The only thing that has changed is that Jesus has relocated his ministry. He's moved to heaven, but his ministry goes on through the Holy Spirit uh, that he promised. And that continues today as we have his Holy Spirit. We're continuing Jesus's ministry and we're doing what he has commissioned the apostles to do and what he's commissioned us to do. And this verse 2 
references the orders that he gave to these apostles. Well, what orders is he talking about? He's talking about the Great Commission, right? This is what he said in Matthew 28. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so these are the orders that he gives to the disciples. This is the work that he has for them to do. And to these men means to these apostles, as we go back looking at those uh, verses again, verses 1 through 3. To these, it says in verse 3, that means the apostles that he had given the orders to. Uh, To these apostles, he presented himself alive over a period of 40 days. And he gave many convincing proofs and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so this word proofs in the Greek is a very, very strong word. And if you should read the Amplified Bible, uh, it gives a really good, powerful translation of what this word actually means. Uh, the, The Amplified Bible says, by many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidence and infallible proof. I mean, that's as good as it gets. And if you're a lawyer trying to convince a jury of something, uh, especially in a criminal case, the the standard is beyond reasonable doubt, right? You have to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And what the word here is saying is that you know this because you've seen it beyond any reasonable doubt. For 40 days, he showed these things uh, to you. There are 10 post-resurrection appearances uh, of Jesus noted in the Bible. And we see things like Uh, Jesus walking through locked doors. Uh, We see him uh, eating and drinking, and we see him showing his his hands and his feet scarred from the nails. Uh, These things uh, he showed to his disciples. And and these these things don't even take into account the fact that the tomb was empty and nobody was ever able to produce a body when they surely were motivated to do so. So the proofs were convincing. Uh, The apostles knew that Jesus was alive. And today... The problem is not with the proofs. The problem's in the human heart, right? And when we we talk to people about Jesus, we can talk to people until we're blue in the face uh, using apologetic techniques and and everything else that's available to us to talk to people about Jesus. uh, And we ought to do that. Uh, The proof is there. And really, the proof is beyond a doubt to us even today, even though we weren't there to see it. But when we're talking to people, the problem is not in the proofs. The problem is in their heart. And the problem is in our hearts, too, sometimes. Um, uh, There's the problem of pride that causes us to want to depend only on ourselves for salvation. And and we don't want somebody that we need to submit to, like God, reigning over us in our lives. And we don't want to submit to God as our authority. And, And I know that personally because that was my heart until God came uh, and changed my hard heart and drew me to himself. It's the kind of heart I had, a heart full of pride, unwilling to submit to God. And that's what the world is out there. Uh, So we can uh, apologetic them uh, to death, but what we really need to be doing is to pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would do his work because the work of salvation is through the Holy Spirit. It's not through our words. We have to pray uh, to God about men as much as we talk to men about God. So we have to remember these things as we're going out to evangelize. And on these verses, I just want to note Luke's attention to past, present, and future. Notice that he's talking about how Jesus suffered, died, and was resurrected in the past. And now here he is uh, over these 40 days speaking to them in the present and showing them many convincing proofs. 
And he's also talking to them about the future coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, and the kingdom of God is coming at a future time, but the kingdom of God also exists now. It exists in our own hearts. And the spirit of God and the kingdom of God lives here in our hearts, but it's coming in its fullness uh, when Jesus returns to rule on the earth. And the Bible points to this future time when Jesus is going to come again and he's going to rule on earth. And this is the basis of our hope. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead and he's coming again, right? This is what we celebrate at, at Christmas. It's what we celebrate at Easter. And really we should be celebrating this every day of our lives. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we believe uh, as Christians. And so uh, Luke has now summarized the earthly ministry of Jesus and he's going to move on now to prepare the apostles to receive the Holy Spirit. So it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, as this happened, these guys were on the Mount of Olives. This is the Mount of Olives here, a uh, little mountain right next to Jerusalem, which is over here. It's about a mile away, so 20-minute, 30-minute walk tops. But these guys were all from Galilee. Uh, Galilee is very far north of Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem over here. Galilee's all the way up here. That's 70 miles or so. Uh, they would travel that 70 miles. They would go home if it wasn't for, for Jesus telling them, go to Jerusalem and you wait until you receive this Holy Spirit. And I can just imagine these disciples as, as they're traveling back to Jerusalem or thinking about traveling back to Jerusalem and, and receiving this power of the Holy Spirit, thinking, uh, you know, what is this Holy Spirit? And uh, what does it mean? And what are we going to be able to do when we have the Holy Spirit? Will we be walking through walls like Jesus does? Will, will we be appearing and disappearing uh, and, and appearing again out of nowhere like Jesus does? And uh, what's it going to be like? What kind of power do we have? Are we going to have special abilities to conquer Romans just with a, with a glance or a look and, you know, look at them and some Roman drops dead? Is, is that what we're going to have? Are we, are we going to have this kind of power? Uh, I just kind of think about what they were, what they were thinking about. We're going to have power. They, they probably thought it meant military power, a political power. But what they didn't understand was that there was going to be uh, a second interval or an interval between Jesus's being with them now uh, and a second coming. And so Jesus needed to correct that misunderstanding. And so he's going to correct that misunderstanding uh, in verses uh, six through eight as he corrects their misunderstanding and gives them a commission. It says, so when they had come together, uh, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it, this is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the remotest part of the earth. Well, I think that was probably a gigantic letdown for these apostles, right? I, I think that they didn't understand that the kingdom of God is not political, uh, it's spiritual, and it dwells in our hearts. And I think they didn't understand that, that the gospel was not just for Israel, the gospel was for everyone, it was for the whole world. And so they didn't understand that the kingdom of God was not going to come at this time because there was work to do. The gospel had to be spread 
and that's going to take time to do. It couldn't be accomplished at that time. And I think they thought that Jesus was there to stay this time and that they were going to get the Holy Spirit and they with Jesus were just going to go out and triumphantly conquer all their enemies and, and usher in this new uh, Jerusalem, Jewish-led uh, uh, Jerusalem rather than having these Romans uh, always in and around them and telling them what to do and living under their thumb. And so uh, Jesus corrected their thinking, telling them it's not for you to know when and it's not for you to, for, it's not uh, for me to tell you when God has fixed this time by his own uh, authority. Uh, I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel. Notice he doesn't say, you're wrong, he's not going to restore the kingdom of Israel. He just says, now is not the time. One day he is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. But for now, he's simply telling them, uh, it's not for you to know when. And so by now, we can assume that the uh, apostles know that, that they're not going to usher in the kingdom so you can imagine them saying, uh, okay, Jesus, it's not now. Well, well what's the plan? You know, well, what's going to happen next? So he commissions them for this work that he has for them to do. And he says their work is for him to be a witness to the world, starting in Jerusalem, moving out to Judea, to Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. And so uh, they have two tasks. The first one is to wait. Now, I hate waiting even for a traffic light. So I cannot imagine how hard it must have been for these guys to go to Jerusalem and wait uh, for some indeterminate period of time uh, for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, Jesus said, you'll receive it not many days from now. Uh, but at the end of the book of Revelation, he said, behold, I am coming soon. Uh, and here we are 2,000 years later. So I don't know what soon means uh, in the Bible. Uh, but not many days from now, they didn't know exactly how many days they were going to have to wait for this Holy Spirit. So they were going to wait, and, and, and they needed to wait. And if they had tried to go out and do the work that Jesus had for them to do before they had waited for the Holy Spirit, uh, things would have gone south pretty fast. And, and sometimes we uh, act before God is ready for us to act, and we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble too. So it's important to wait on God's timing, and God's timing was for them to have the Holy Spirit first. Then he told them to go. So first wait, then go. And if the waiting was hard, sometimes the going is even harder because the going is where the danger is found. Uh, you can wait in Jerusalem safely, but when you have the Holy Spirit and it's time to go, these apostles found that they were uh, running into trouble uh, every step they took. We'll see it in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and then in, in Paul's ministry, uh, constantly being arrested, uh, put in jail, beaten and whipped for the things that, that they were doing uh, and saying. And so... Uh, it's very difficult. So why was it necessary to wait for the Holy Spirit? Because there's no way they could have accomplished this work without the power of the Holy Spirit. They were going to have power, and the Holy Spirit was going to give them the words that they needed to say and the courage to face the enemies that they were going to face uh, along the way with their very lives at stake. And so Jesus gives them this commission. You're going to go, and you're going to be my witnesses. And and not very much time passes. He gives them a job to do, and then uh, he starts to ascend. So let's read about the ascension in verses 9 through 11. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So, you have these apostles who have been commissioned to do this job, and they've not been told how to do it. 
Uh, General MacArthur is credited with saying, don't tell a man how to do something, tell him what needs to be done and you'll be amazed at his creativity and, and the way he gets it done. Now, I don't know if that's good advice or not. I can think of lots of ways that that could turn out to be an absolute train wreck. Uh, when you don't tell somebody how to do something, you just tell them how to do it. Uh, but that's what happened here. Jesus did not tell them how to be his witnesses. He just said, be my witnesses. And these guys didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit yet. So you can imagine as, as he's being lifted off the ground after he says these words, you can imagine their fear, their confusion, their utter amazement as you know, it's not normal for people just to start levitating in front of you and then start going higher and higher up into the clouds. And, and they had seen some pretty amazing and incredible things uh, in their lifetime. And this one had to be up there with the most incredible and amazing things that they had ever seen uh, as they continue to look up and look up and look up. And he's just going up and disappearing uh, into this cloud, uh, blessing them as he goes. And and so I just, I try to imagine their faces. You know, have you ever seen that, that cartoon character where his mouth drops down to the floor and the tongue rolls out like 20 feet or something? That's what I'm thinking about what these guys are looking like as they're, as they're watching Jesus go into the sky like, I've never seen anything like this before. And, and, and off he goes. And, and so there he is ascending into the sky. Uh, and while they're trying to wrap their minds around this, two guys gleaming in white appear right next to them out of nowhere and they say, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? This Jesus who you saw ascend into the sky, well, he's going to descend the same way. So imagine trying to wrap your arms and your mind around all of that happening at the same time. But what a word of encouragement from them, right? They, he's going to come again. And so, all right, we've misunderstood the plan. He's coming another time. And so we're so looking forward to that. Uh, it's, an, it's a great encouragement how their spirits must have been lifted. He's coming again. Hallelujah. And they were the first people... Uh, to hear these words. And I want us to see how the apostles reacted. It's not really recorded here in the book of Acts, but the ascension is recorded also at the end of Luke, in Luke chapter 24. This is what it says. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and we're continually in the temple praising God. I mean, is that an incredible reaction to what they had just seen? I mean, their minds had to be completely blown. Like, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, but from this small word from these uh, two angels, uh, they go back to Jerusalem. Uh, just like they're told, there's not a trace of disappointment. There's not a trace of bitterness. What a fantastic display of faith, uh, hope, joy. A worship and obedience, all these things we see in the apostles. And, and next week we're going to see that the apostles immediately start to get after uh, the work that Jesus gave them to do. Not with long faces, not with any sadness. They had a job to do and they get after the job to do. And we'll, we'll see them start to do that next week. So for this week, what can we learn? The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? That's good news. That's what we praise God for. That's why we're Christians. The proof of Jesus's resurrection is convincing. Uh, it's infallible. It's beyond any doubt to the eyewitnesses, so much so that these guys went out and they suffered and they died for what they saw, testifying about it. All of them, except for John, uh, suffered a martyr's death. And nobody does that for what they know to be a lie. 
And over centuries of time, our modern critics are just fascinating to me uh, that they think that, you know, these first century apostles, you know, they're pretty dumb because they live in the first century, so they really need our help to reinterpret what it was that they saw. Uh, and that's what modern criticism of the Bible is all about. It's, it's a modern critic imposing his 21st century wisdom on first century man. And it's like he's saying, you know, uh, us 21st century guys, we're pretty smart. And you first century guys, you're pretty dumb. Now, let, let me help you understand what it was that you saw, because there's no way you saw what you think you saw. Uh, and, and that's our problem with criticism. And that's the problem I was talking about earlier in terms of the problem is not in the proof. The problem is in the human heart. Uh, there is enough uh, proof that we can believe. And so Jesus proved that he was alive by many convincing proofs. Uh, and they saw him re ascend and return to his father. And so uh, he's alive. Uh, historians date the ascension. Uh, they, they say it happened on Thursday, May 14th, 33 AD. It's an actual event. It happened in history. And they may not have the date right. Uh, there are people who disagree with the date. But it's a, it's a historical fact, just like any other historical fact. It happened. Uh, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you're not a Christian. He rose from the dead. Four hour, he died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's there right now uh, advocating on our behalf. So Jesus is alive. Second, don't worry about when he's coming. Wait expectantly and work fervently. We have had many date setters over the course of history, right? And each one of them is wackier than the next, and each one of them has been humiliated uh, at their proper time. And when they're humiliated, well, they, they make an adjustment, and they make another adjustment because uh, if you have a ministry that's about date setting uh, and you want the money to keep coming in, you have to figure out a way to, uh, to show how you need to correct your, your proper date. Uh, but, but these things have been happening since the beginning, uh, and, and we know that we're not supposed to uh, set dates. Even Jesus said, only the Father knows the date and the hour. I do not know the date and the hour. So if that's the case for Jesus, we have no business trying to guess the date or the hour ourselves. Uh, but until he comes, he has given us work to do. And we're to share the good news with unbelievers, and we're to disciple believers, and we're supposed to uh, build each other up and encourage each other, and, and, and we should be busy doing this work. And I think it's okay to do it with, uh, you know, a half an eye looking up to the heavens and praying and hoping that today is the day that he comes. But let's not forget the work that he's given us to do uh, while we're here. And finally, don't worry if you have misunderstood God's plan. Just get back on track. Uh, what do we do when we have misunderstood God's plan? Well, we just pray. We get on our knees and we ask God for wisdom because we don't understand. We ask for clarity. Uh, these apostles asked Jesus a very reasonable question. Okay, Jesus, uh, we thought that you were going to come and we were going to conquer Rome together and it was going to be great, but then you let them crucify you and, and you died which we didn't expect, but now you've risen again. Surely now is the time that we're going to go out and we're going to conquer Rome, right? Now's the time, right? Well, no, now's not the time either. These apostles didn't understand, and so uh, Jesus had to clarify for them. And, and when we have misunderstood God's plan, uh, we have to go back to God and ask God. I've told you the story uh, in the past that uh, you know, when we were being called to seminary, we thought that the big test for us was whether we would sell our house in New Jersey. And we thought that as soon as we planted that realtor sign on the lawn, well, the house would sell the next day and you know, we would have passed God's great test that we were willing to sell the house. Well, two years later, 
uh, the house sold, and, and that two years was very difficult for us because we didn't understand God's plan. We thought he wanted us in Texas, in seminary, two years earlier than we actually got here. We misunderstood God's plan, right? And, and that happens, and we ask questions. We say, God, why? God, why? Well, there's a reason why, and there were reasons why God made us wait two years. But when we don't understand God's plan, we just get back and we ask him. We get with him. And uh, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, go to God. Ask him, and he is generous. He will uh, give you wisdom without reproach. When we understand God's plan, we get back on God's plan. Like these apostles, they went back to Jerusalem, right? They were praising, they were worshiping, and they were about to get about what God wanted them to do. Uh, they understood that God's plan is infinitely better than our plan, and it's infinitely better than their plan, what their plan was. And, and if the apostles' plan happened the way they wanted it to, well, 20 centuries of Christians would have missed out on their witness. And so uh, I'm thankful for God's plan. It sure benefited us, right? It benefited us because we are the beneficiaries of the apostles' words. And so uh, I just thank God for his plan. I thank God for his son. I thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for the courage of these apostles uh, who started taking the gospel to the world because each of us owes our own salvation in, in some way uh, to their early work. And so uh, I just want to thank them. Uh, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to thank each one of them and say thank you for the work that you did, uh, suffering what you suffered uh, so that we could be saved. Uh, next week, we'll talk about how they be uh, began to get about their work. For now, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the incredible story of the book of Acts and the first century church. And uh, Lord, that you would entrust us with such a monumental task is truly staggering, Lord. You, you showed us what to do in three years while you were here, and, and you showed us what you uh, wanted us to do, and you show us what God looks like. And then you left us here and you said, now you go and tell the world, you be my witnesses. And Lord, it seems like much too big of a project for uh, sinful, fallible humans to be able to undertake. But Lord, you have entrusted it to us and we ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us daily and that we would have the strength, the wisdom, the power and the courage that it takes to do the work that you have given us to do uh, while we are on this earth. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us this work to do and we pray that you will put people in our paths who need to hear the gospel and give us the courage to speak it. And we pray for the hearts who are going to receive it, Lord, that they would receive it openly uh, and become Christians, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.